All right, what up? Welcome to the New Dwelly Podcast. Stuart here. A new episode today with Kyle McFarlane, coach, White Pine Athletics. Grateful for Kyle. He is going to share five tips, well, actually six tips and tricks, pitfalls that uh, he sees athletes fall into, especially in wintertime. So uh, as a coach and as a professional, he uh, works with a lot of athletes. And uh, I asked him to gather together some of the things that he sees athletes do in the winter that might not be the best ideas. So uh, really fun to talk to Kyle. We've ridden with him and he's been on our team group me. Uh, an, an incredible coach with a lot of clients and a lot of uh, experience. So grateful for him, thankful to have him on. Uh, so enjoy the episode. Next, uh, we're getting ready to launch the 2022 kits. So Team Store is uh, almost ready. Um, hopefully I can release it about the same time as this podcast comes out. A lot of fun new changes. There's four bib options for the team. The brand new fully redesigned Velocity bibs from Volet. They are so sick with uh, laser cut uh, cuffs. Uh, all new straps are redesigned. So Velocity bib, we still have the black label bibs, the thermal bibs, and then brand new for this year are going to be cargo bibs. So there's these cargo pockets on the side of the bibs for mountain biking or uh, gravel riding, whatever. They're so good. Uh, you'll also see there's going to be a new pro jersey. So the, the pro jersey has been totally redesigned with some longer sleeves. They've removed the cuffs. Uh, it is the go-to jersey, in my opinion, for this year. So anyway, uh, new team store coming out. We're also asking for the team to pay for team fees, team camp, and order all their swag on a new Shopify uh, web store that we've created. So we're going to eliminate... All of those transactions and everything that happens at kit pickup, kind of that um, line and uh, pay for this, Venmo this, whatever, that's going to all be eliminated and hopefully make kit pickup a little smoother, um, the transactions a little more secure, and just a better opportunity for the team to reserve the swag and team gear they want, hats, sweatshirts, socks, so you don't arrive 20 minutes late to kit pickup and all your stuff is gone. So. Shopify link coming with some new cool things for 2022 that will allow um, everybody to interact a little better. With that, Team Camp, we're looking at March 17th through 20th down in St. George. We are going to add a fee to attend Team Camp, and that is for the dinners that we're going to provide Friday and Saturday. So pretty rad um, that we're already kind of looking to spring. Um, But more about that, we'll probably do a full podcast episode about... um, team camp and what's going to come there but that option is also on the shopify store to reserve your spot at team camp all right i'm just chatting away here grateful for each of you thankful for this team uh, especially grateful for our sponsors and those who make the team possible and everything that we do enjoy the episode and uh, i'll see you out there bye all right welcome to the podcast Stuart anderson here grateful to uh have you back we've got a lot of episodes um kind of stacking up for the year, which I'm super grateful for people that want to be on. And then people we go out and find, um, our guest today. So it's just me and Kyle. So Kyle, uh, McFarland is joining us. Hey, Kyle, what's up? Not much, man. How you doing? Very good. Um, I remember when we met, it was a special day. We were riding, uh, back behind Francis and we were doing ultimate challenge. What year was that? 2019? 
2018. 2018. And, uh, dude, we were just plodding along. Um, I don't even, what was the route? I don't even remember the route. Where were we going? So we were, I think I linked up with you guys on the Browns Canyon section. Um, and we were about to head in towards Wolf Creek Ranch. Oh yeah, that's right. We yeah. did the Wolf Creek thing. That was awesome. So was super cool. Yeah, we took that private road, uh, Wolf Creek Ranch, and then we climbed, oh, and then we climbed Pine Canyon. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. There fun. it is. That's it. <laughs> so after that, hard. <laughs> after that, uh, as most relationships blossom, Strava, uh, we yeah. saw each other a lot, uh, commented back and forth. And then Kyle um, started connecting with more of our team. And in the spring, we added him to our team, GroupMe. Uh, and it has been a beautiful thing since then. Um, he's added a lot of great uh, rides, spe- specifically gravel stuff that you've done this year, a lot of cool races. And uh, as the, a full-time coach and owner of White Pine Athletics, uh, he's here to share with us a few uh, winter training tips, some pitfalls that he sees athletes fall into, as well as just solid advice from a great coach. Uh, dude, you got a lot of athletes. I, uh, I, as I dig in and see more and more of you, like on social media and on Strava, a lot of cool places that you touch and, and are a part of the cycling community in Utah. So kudos. For sure. Thanks, man. Hey, will you, uh, I, I'd love to hear who you are, uh, some background and then how you got into the profession that you're in. And, um, we'll just start, we'll just start there. Kind of introduce yourself. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, my name is Kyle. Um, I graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in kinesiology, uh, so basically exercise science and a uh, minor in nutrition. Um, As you mentioned, I'm a full-time endurance coach, so owner of White Pine Athletics, and then I do some contract work with USA USA Cycling and USA Triathlon. Um, In terms of uh, kind of credentials and background, so I have licensing and accreditation through USA Cycling, USA Triathlon the Ironman brand and through the American college of sports medicine. So nice. that's kind of my, that background. Basically I've cool. always been a coach. I've always been a nerd. <laughs> and then your accolade, I mean, talk about what you do. I mean, as a, as an athlete, you don't, you're not mm-hmm. just a coach, like, dude, you are out there. Uh, talk a bit, a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So um, kind of my athletic journey is a little bit non-standard. Um, I turned pro as a climber when I was uh, 16 or 17 um, and then climbed professionally for about 10 years and spent some time on the U.S. team. Um, Unfortunately, right before it became an Olympic sport, so I got to miss out on Mm. all that fun stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I got into like cycling and triathlon after I was rehabbing a finger injury. And uh, my PT is actually a triathlete here in the Salt Lake area. And was just like, Hey, like get it, get a bike, like come ride with us. And I legitimately kind of was just done with climbing from, mm. from that moment on, I kind of retired and uh, made the transition into endurance sports. And in my time as a climber and with my background in physiology, I'd been coaching elite level athletes for a while. So from uh, junior teams to uh, Olympic qualifiers now. So um, coaching has always kind of been in, in my, in my blood essentially. And transitioning into endurance sports, I, I couldn't not coach. Like it's, there's something about like, that's just what I've always done. And, it, and I'm such an, I always throw the word nerd around and it's, it's truly 
descriptive of me. Like you, I have a skeleton in my, in my office. Yep. Like I'm an yep. absolute nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I made the transition full-time into coaching endurance athletes, which has been super fun. Very cool. And, and your, your brand, your, your, uh, white pine athletics, mm-hmm. let's talk about how it started, uh, what it is, you know, the branding and kind of your philosophy, your culture behind how you create, uh, uh, your coaching and, and what you do. Yeah. Um, so I guess first and foremost, like we, we try to make, make it so much more than just a coach athlete relationship. Like we try to make it an experience we try to create culture try to create community within the sport and within our group of athletes. Um, my kind of initial background in, in coaching, I worked for a lot of other coaches and I've worked for a lot of gyms and I saw a lot of just holes in what they were offering to other athletes. Um, and honestly, there are way too many coaches that offer these, these, you know, vague 15, 16 week programs to their athletes. And call that customized training and then charge an asinine amount for it. And and communication Mm. might not even be a factor of it. And there's no, you know, no attempt to create a culture around that training. There's no group rides. There's no, you know, Swift races or, or whatever it is. Um, And so one of the big things is, is they just do this year after year and they're pumping out the same 16 week program and giving it to the same athletes every single season. And just like, you know, raking in, I mean, not that endurance coaching is a, is a incredibly lucrative background, but like they're just cashing in on work that, you know, minimal amounts of work essentially. Right. Um, so when we created white pine, it was, I was getting fed up with the, the gyms that I'd been working for, the coaches I'd been working under and just seeing athletes suffering uh, because of frankly, like negligence on the coach's part, like just a laziness. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that really the root of my coaching philosophy is always boiled down to athletes aren't templatized. Like humans aren't, we don't respond to templates the way we would want to or way coaches plan. Hmm. And uh, really like if you look at group spin classes or these, these, you know, pumped out cookie cutter plans, like they make all these assumptions about athletes that may or may not be true. So like week one, and I like to use this as a really common example because I've, I've been there. Um, I'll sign up for, you know, a plan a few years ago and, and on week one, I'm doing 10 by two minutes at VO2 max. And at that power, at that VO2 power, like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do two minutes of it. I was absolutely just like maxed out on heart rate. I was like ready to vomit. And then I look ahead on the plan and I'm like, oh, cool. Next week's two by three minutes. And then it's two by four <laughs> minutes and then it's two by six minutes. And I'm like, what oh, do you perfect. do? if you can't do the first week. Right. And, yeah. and I even, I've taught group classes, like spin classes where we see that all the time. Like athletes will come in at a, a much different conditioning level than other athletes and just like absolutely suffer. And then they don't want to touch their bike ever again. Um, and so white pine was truly, truly formed off trying to give those, you know, every athlete a space to work on their individual weaknesses or limiters um, as well as to like, you know, continue building upon their strengths because that's like work that's truly never done but that's uh that's kind of where we're at in terms of like the 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 foundation the basis of white pine very cool and and let's talk about um like who are you working with right now because Mm -hmm. everybody seems to know you you've got a hand in a lot of places so where where are you working yeah (laughs) yeah so we um we're kind of all over the place and and really we've 
we've tried to hone in on it, right? Like when we first, when White Pine first started, we were mountain sports. So we were working with climbers, skiers, mm. um, like schemo athletes. And we've just kind of like honed in on what I feel like I'm truly, like truly capable of, of, of affecting real change in an athlete, right? And so right now we're, um, our focus is heavily on the off-road athlete. So uh, XC mountain bike, gravel, uh, the roadie scene. And then I, on a very limited basis, I'll take on triathletes. Um, okay. I don't, I don't have a ton of those just out of an interest on my side. Um, okay. and then I very, very occasionally training peaks will, uh, send me like schemo athletes just cause I have a background in mountaineering. So I'll work with mm. kind of some mountain athletes, but, but primarily on the two wheels, mountain bike, gravel road. Okay. And then, uh, I watched you do a bunch of races this year and your athletes do a bunch of races. Yeah. Anything stand out? Yeah. Anything stand out? Any, um, cool events? Yeah. Um, I don't kind of have like PTSD talking about them, but like true grit <laughs> was the first one of the season. I don't, Dude, I don't every, everybody's got PTSD. I was not. Oh my goodness, no. dude. So yeah, that was, this is actually super, super sad. That was my first DNF ever. And I really like, it was bound to happen, but don't worry. Like, don't worry. Put a snow on the ground. Yeah. I can't uh, so even DNF, believe anyone did it. Yeah. Um, and then I went over to Nebraska in June and did the Robidoux Quick and Dirty, which is now cool. like the Robidoux Rendezvous, which for like any gravel athlete, 100% put that on your radar. It's only going to mm. get bigger. And the quality of the event is just amazing. Through like Scotts, uh, Scotts Bluff, Nevada, like old, you pass like broken down uh, wagons from like the Pioneers Day. It's super cool. Dang. Um, and then I did Wasatch All Road. Also DNF'd, I blew up my rear hub um, on the like descent into Strawberry. Strawberry, yep. Okay. Um, so that that was fun. And then got redemption at BWR Cedar City, uh, which nice. I wasn't actually planning on doing. I signed up for it like a week out. And I was like, man, I cannot end my season with like DNFing Wasatch. Nice. So pulled the trigger, did BWR, which was awesome. Cool. Um, yeah. And then just, uh, locally, I didn't, I didn't do any crits this year, but I did like the hill climb series, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Dirk okay. It's on an awesome event. Yeah. And then our athletes was super cool. We actually had, um, there's a, a young dude I'm working with out of Texas who's in med school, which is like obviously very intensive and it's hard to balance anything with. And, uh, in his first season training and racing for triathlon, he qualified for 70.3 worlds, which is oh, wow. super cool. Um, so it's been a fun journey with him. Um, we've got a lot of juniors on the NICA and ICUP scene. Um, nice. and then point to point, all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah. And it looks like our 2022 calendar is filling up with a lot of gravel athletes, which is cool. I know. Well, oh, so you're signing on more athletes for gravel training. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's exploding, which is super cool. And it's uh, fun to watch athletes prep for things like unbound and all that fun stuff. Man, well, you know, we talked to Ventum yesterday, me and Chip, and they have so much planned for the team, for Utah. I mean, with the, nice. um, with All Road, they're, you know, new routes, different routes. Um, they've got all sorts of cool stuff. I guess I can't spoil it, but uh, <laughs> there is so much going on in that scene. That is fun. Uh, yeah. For you to, yeah. Very cool. Um, I guess before we kind of get into your tips and tricks, uh, I've got, you know, you provided a few notes, but one I'm interested in here is this. You said that sports has given you so much your wife. 
Let's yeah. hear it. What happened there? <laughs> so this, this is almost kind of embarrassing, actually. Um, <laughs> when I, before I moved to Salt Lake, uh, it was like 2009, I was out here working with USA Climbing, uh, helping to organize like a pro national competition. And I was literally hanging from the wall in my harness next to another guy, like um, route settings, like putting the holds, like bolting holds to walls. And uh, I saw my now wife like walk in the door. She was a gym employee at the time. And I literally like nudged my buddy and I was like, dude, dibs. And it was <laughs> just this stupid little, like, you know, 18 year old me uh-huh. being like, that girl is super cute. And then we just throughout the course of me, working at that gym and coming back and visiting and then getting a job like we were pretty much inseparable and and uh, ended up getting married and now we have an awesome dog together so nice. yeah sport uh, sport introduced me to her which is super cool and you guys still ride and kind of run and train together i've seen you on social yeah. media do that yeah yeah we we try to get out um as much as possible i'm trying to get her to get an e-bike so that i can motor pace off her but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Nice. Very cool. Well, uh, fun to have you. And then, um, remind me where, where are you in the, in the Valley? I know you always are riding. Um, yeah. um in so I'm in Harriman. AF- okay. Harriman. Yeah. Cause you know, the, you know, the Britons, I mean, uh, do you yep. coach that high school team or do you help? Okay. Yep. So I work with the Harriman team and then I coach, um, I've worked with Ben. This was his senior year. So now I, and then I work with, uh, David, junior Davey as well so nice very yeah, cool those kids are beasts those kids yeah. are incredible. i mean look at their dad but don't right? <laughs> don't <laughs> give them don't we don't want them to get a big head though so like yeah no way. <laughs> <laughs> um i love this thing that you said here where you you love watching the athlete journey you talk a bit uh, a bit about that yeah i think you know, we, we talked a little bit about how coaching is not this, it's not like a fortune 500 thing where I'm going to, you know, retire Kush off of it. But the most, I think the most rewarding aspect of it is seeing and watching that athlete journey. Like sometimes you get athletes who come to you who are just very talented and they, they need like little to no motivation, little to like no nudge. But occasionally you get these athletes that are, they come to you with these, these, these goals and, you know, saying, I've never had a bike before. Like I just bought my first bike and I want to do Leadville. Like these, just these crazy journeys and being able to watch and be a part of that process and like watch them discover, you know, their inner athleticism and watch them like discover the scientific process of how to train and and pacing and nutrition. And so just being able to be a part of that and and watch that journey for each individual athlete, because it's different for every athlete too. Everyone has their own motivators and that's always been really special to me. That's cool. I know I'm listening to a book um, and it is fascinating. I can't remember the name of the book, but it is part of the chapter I just listened to is on sports psychology. Mm-hmm. Like just like the it is fascinating to hear, you know, different people's thoughts and philosophies on why they train, why they do the journey, um, what it makes them, you know, become. And anyway, I love that aspect of yeah. training and, and being a coach. I think I would, um, love that part too, to watch that journey that an athlete takes. Very cool. And you can't, you can't help but get sucked into it, right? Like the whole, like one of the benefits of, of having a coach is having objective feedback from an, like a third party, third party person. But realistically, like, while that is something that I do, like, it's so hard not to 
to like ingrain myself in the process of that athlete's like journey yeah. and like you share share the successes with them you you know you celebrate the successes you you know wallow in the failures just as much as they do to some extent it's it's pretty pretty unique i think nice hey well uh let's get into it let's get into the meat here let's do it um when kyle and i we were kind of talking about what um would be an interesting topic as a coach, I think he has a really neat perspective on, like, I only see myself, you know, but as a coach, he sees all different types of writers. And in my opinion, like, there are probably a very small group of mistakes that everyone is making. Um, and so I kind of asked Kyle to talk about that as we roll into winter, what what mistakes or pitfalls could we avoid as a team? Um that he sees that he coaches athletes on. So uh, he's, he's put together a really cool list. So we'll see how far we go. Maybe we'll get through all of them, but uh, let's just, let's dive in. Cool. Yeah. And like you said, like I, I do kind of have like an outside perspective on this. Like we have athletes in like three countries and, and no matter where you are in the world, I've seen every single athlete make some of these, these you mm-hmm. know, fall into these, these traps. Um, so the first one that I have that I think is a, is a huge one is, is athletes tend to fall into the trap of comparing their training volume or their intensity with other athletes. Um, so what I mean by this is if you look at any tour de France athlete, you're going to look at their volume and be like, okay, like they're training 20 to 30 hours a week. So that's what I need to be doing. Um, likewise. Okay. Like if you look at Phil Guyman's stuff, like that, he's climbing, you know, 10,000 feet a day and 30 hours a week. Um, I've even had, like, I had a junior athlete come to me and specifically in riding be like, I want to ride 20 hours a week, 200 plus miles per week and 28,000 feet a week. And I was like, cool, let's talk about this. Like, where did any of that come from? Like, why? Well, that's what all the pros are doing. And I'm like, cool, but you have to realize pros are paid to like, get up, eat breakfast, train, go home and rest. And that's it. So, you know, some athletes can handle 20 to 30 hour training, training loads and some, and I would argue most can't, um, both from like a cognitive, physical and like life responsibilities. Like my wife is so understanding of my like compulsive, obsessive getting on the bike, like therapy. (laughs) But if I was like, honey, I need to do 30 hours this week. Like I would have a suitcase on the doorstep 100%. Like, and I would not blame her. Right. Um, and so with that, like, I think it's important to remember that like the formula for adaptation, right? The formula for getting stronger is really, really simple. It's stress plus rest equals adaptation. Nice. So stress plus recovery equals getting stronger or eliciting whatever adaptation that we as athletes want to see. Um, and really like we need to find what I like to call the, the minimum effective dose for that, right? So like the MED um, for that desired adaptation. And if we could reach our goal, let's say our goal is a 320 watt FTP. If we can reach that with 30 hours a week on the bike, or if we could reach that exact same number with six to 10 hours a week on the bike, just structured differently. Why Mm. wouldn't you, right? Like why would we cause more physical stress and more emotional stress and doubling that volume? Great point. Um, So that's, I think the biggest kind of like the number one heavy hitter for me with, with Mm. most athletes in the off season. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this question, but have you ever coached athletes outside of the Strava comparison era? Um, not with, 
not an endurance sports, but I do get the weird random unicorn athlete who doesn't have Strava. <laughs> so it's kind of, and I'm just like, I almost don't know what to do with it. I'm just like, yeah. are you sh- like, what? Like you have well, a power I, meter, we don't have Strava. I mean, the only reason I ask is like, does this even, does this problem even exist without that app? Like without that service? Yeah. I mean, that's a super good question. And I, I would argue, I would love to see like how, how much that would change without it. But I think there's yeah. always some inner, inner drive in athletes to always need and want to do more whether or not that's good for the body, like whether or not it's healthy. Um, We just feel that pressure of needing to do more. Yeah. Good point. Great point. And it's one of the things that like an outside coach is the best at recognizing. So good one. Excellent. All right. All right. Number two. Cool. I'm actually, I'm calling the, the, the Miduole crew out with this one. Shots are about to be fired. Um, there's this mentality of always being the hammer and never being the nail. Yes, yes, and yes. It's, and it's it's hard. It's uh, it's hard when you get so many people together who are stoked, right? To not want to just drop the hammer all the time. Um, yeah. Like I remember, I came to an emigration ride a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "All right, like I'm tired. I did like you know some good volume over the weekend, but it's like a chill morning emigration ride." And like, we just mm-hmm. like, absolutely like back of the pack dropped the hammer. I'm like, okay, I'm at like 4.4 <laughs> Watts per kilo. Like this is bound to ease up. Right. And then the, someone's like, no, we're going to take this corner and it gets harder. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> so there's, you know, and we talked about Strava um, and the last point and, and with the introduction of Strava and Zwift, I think more specifically, there is this constant sense of like constant camaraderie and competition with those around you right Mm -hmm. um and it makes it really really easy to fall into that trap of just like going full ham every single time you swing your leg over the bike which is not good like going back again to stress plus rest equals adaptation that rest has to be there um and that's not to say that you know athletes aren't taking recovery days but you know your week has to be structured in a way that the quality work has to be quality and the restorative work has to be restorative. Nice. So, you know, if every single day is, is VO2 or threshold, like you're never, you're never getting a chance to cash those checks. You're just like writing and writing and writing and you're not getting any, like any adaptation out of it. And with that, you, you really risk like burnout, injury, um, overtraining. And this is something I see a lot with our junior athletes, like going mm-hmm. into the NICA season, like they just hammer themselves all the time and they're, you know, they're just constantly on the bike, they're riding with friends, they're riding at practice, and then state championships, like wrap up, and they're like, I don't want to touch my bike again. Like, I just yeah. I have zero interest in it. Um, yeah. And in, with that, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I mean, um, how do you help a athlete recognize this problem? Um, so I use training peaks a lot. Um, I'm sure okay. you, you have training peaks, but I'll, I'll pull up, you know, graphs, charts, and I'll look at like their intensity factor for every given week. And I'm like, look how many days a week you're spending at, you know, X intensity. That's like, this is just not sustainable. And like, if you're seeing this decline in performance, like that might be a reason why. Um, but I think it really just kind of, it, it has to become an aha moment for athletes and, um, hmm have them understand that you can't make a session quality if you're so fatigued going into it. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to back off a little bit and, and take, 
take some sessions a little bit easy, take a week off here and there if you need to, like if you're feeling burned out. I think we we kind of always get into that, that same pressure as we mentioned above, like where you have to be on all the time. And even if mentally you're just not kind of feeling it, you're like, no, I have to train. I have to get this session done. And it's okay not to. Like, it's okay to like nurture your uh, the, the cognitive emotional, emotional side of it and yeah. chill out a little bit. Which is hard because on the other side, you're always hearing like, no, 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 push through. Like, this mm-hmm. is how you get better. So it really is a hard line, a really hard balance to find. It, it takes some time. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, it's, it's a constantly evolving thing too. Like as we, as our athletic age grows, that volume that we can handle or that intensity that we can handle is going to change. Like if I had tried to ride it at my volume this year, like if I had tried to do this a year or two years ago, like it would have been horrible. Like I would have, I would have been overtrained. I would have very much so probably faced injury and I just would have had a really bad time. Like I wouldn't have enjoyed it, but because I took a gradual approach and I, I, chilled and I rested when I needed to, like I was able to increase volume like significantly this year. Nice. Smart. Okay. Uh, you were going to say, um, okay. So how do we like winter time? What happens in winter with something like this? Um, so I think it kind of depends on the athlete. Um, and again, I think Strava and groups are, kind of a a little bit of a culprit in this I think it's 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 hard to say no to people like I I often I'll even get like invites for the Miduele Zwift ride and I'm looking at it and I'm like ooh, like two hours looks like so much fun like that's what I want to do and then I'm like no like I am scheduled for like a 0.58 IF day like it's like don't do it don't fall into the trap and you just have to look at that bigger picture right and again if you have a coach um this, this process, this, like this whole experience is not written in stone. Like the plan is not just the the plan. It's not like it can be adjusted. Things can be moved. So I think it's important to, again, like nurture your motivation just as much as like nurturing that need for recovery. And sometimes like, if I see a ride like that, I'm like, dude, like, I really want to do that, but I know the plan doesn't quite call for it you can rework the plan. You can, you can more often than not, you can make up some of that recovery on the tail end or shuffle things around. Um, but I think really just sitting down and looking at your schedule and creating like a, a, a balance of recovery to intensity um, is like step number one, just figuring out where you can get in quality over quantity. Nice. I love that. Um very good. Okay. Anything else to say about, I'm going to call it the Miduele trap. I've just relabeled number two. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I think that that pretty much does it. I think, um, you know, in the off season, it, it's, it depends on the goals of the, of the upcoming season as well, but the off season is a great time to just focus on like relatively low intensity, uh, long duration miles and, you know, with that, like also skill building. Um, but if that doesn't mean you can't drop the hammer, like this is also a great time to find out where your weaknesses were in the season before and address those. Like we talked about VO2 power earlier and, you know, I know that's a limiter of mine. So I'm taking the next, you know, six to 10 weeks to do a really slow, gradual ramp up of my VO2 power. But I know that for that to be quality, everything around it needs to be you know, easier and more restorative than, than anything else. Nice. 
Very cool. All right. Number three, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of number three. Yeah. I mean, um, not, not of doing this. Of course. Why would you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no. So uh, um, another big off season pitfall I see is, is athletes neglecting strength and mobility work. Um, so it's, you know, the winter is an ideal time to incorporate like heavier power-based movements. And then I stress this one, like targeted strength training. And what I mean by that is not just like, you know, busting out shoulder presses or like the glamour muscles, like not just doing pecs every day, but, you know, targeted, targeted exercises um, to make whatever your sport is better. Right. And if that means blasting pecs, then cool. But every uh, day is chest yeah. day. <laughs> oh, Kyle. yeah. Chest and glutes all day. <laughs> glutes. <laughs> you know, my, my motto, which I mean, we'll get to that later. I, I think glute doping, which is a, a term, it's a real thing. I think glute doping in the off season is great. Um, so my motto from a strength and strength and conditioning perspective has always been an, uh, a strong athlete is a, is a durable athlete. And so durability is something that I don't think is talked enough about in cycling. Um, no offense to the greater population of cyclists, but we're all typically like super wiry, you know, like not, not very thick, not very durable people. Um, and so when we look at like building durability and not just focusing on quads, um, you can ex Im improve experience on like long rides, gravel, mountain bike, and then like, you know, God forbid crashes. Like if you're just bone and, and a little bit of muscle, those crashes are detrimental, but if you yep. can stack a little bit of muscle to cover those things. Um, like I remember the first time I did the true grit gravel or uh, mountain bike course, I would like, my legs felt great the next day, but like chest, scapula, forearms, triceps, like everything was screaming. And it was this like eye opening experience. It's like, cool. Like my legs are really strong, but my body, mm -hmm. like the rest of my body is like, what, what are you doing? What mm -hmm. is happening? Yeah. Um, so when we talk about, you know, targeted, specific strength movements um off season is a great time to work on squats deadlifts um i know i said jokingly about chest but like chest and scapular movements that, that control posture right so mm. if we think about the position that we hold on the bike like we're very hunched over and especially if you do any like time trial or tt stuff like your t-spine is just locked in this position all the time and just mm. gets like tighter and tighter and your chest doesn't really like you know, we don't really do much with our chest to open up our postural movements or muscles. Good point. Yeah. Um, so purely from just being a healthy human being, some of these like strength and mobility things can help a ton. Um, and then throughout the course of the off season, you know, progress to more complex movements um, and progressing to like plyometric style movements as well. Like really like use this as an opportunity to not only to kind of like build into a hypertrophic state, like getting greater muscle mass, but then adding in these plyometrics to create power, right? And like power off the bike translates really well to power on the bike. So if you can do things like um, jump squats or, you know, like uh, these kind of like bouncing rear elevated split squat, basically like mm -hmm. uh, where you, yeah, that kind of thing translates super well to putting out power on the bike. And uh, doing that in the off season can be huge. But that really wrecks my Zwift hammer sesh. It really, so, so timing it though, and that's the hard thing too is, is and I, I always like struggle to mention this, but it, it's setting the ego aside in the winter too. Like the winter is not a time for performance, right? The winter is a time for building. 
So it's nice. really hard to, to put that for me and, and for a lot of athletes to put that ego aside occasionally and be like, Hey, like I'm going to, I'm going to ride like absolute garbage or I'm going to feel like crap, but the work that I'm doing on the bike and off the bike around it are going to make me unstoppably strong come spring and summer. That was really good advice right there. That was awesome. What did you say at the beginning? You said, uh, performance, um, I'm going to feel like rewinding <laughs> the performance will suffer in the, in the mm -hmm. cause of building strength. That was yep. awesome. Yep. Yeah. It's huge. Cool. Very smart. Okay. Um, that's awesome. Do you, do you prescribe a, a program for your athletes or is there, is yeah. there somewhere like you? Yeah. So, um, so part of my work with American college of sports medicine is in a background as, as a certified personal trainer. And then with okay. my degree in, in, uh, kinesiology, we do a lot of work with strength and conditioning. Um, so a lot of my athletes, I do program strength specific work. Um, some athletes have their own strength coach and that's always great too. And I'm always happy to like coordinate with those coaches to make sure that things are done on the right days, um, or at least done in like the correct order throughout the week. Um, uh, but yeah, I definitely, I think in the off season, it should be a part of every cyclist plan. And I mean, I think, uh, Dave had an episode, uh, talking about Wukar fit, I think. Oh yeah. And, dude's awesome. Like that plan is, is fantastic. So even if you're just doing like a little, you know, plan like that, it's, it's going to yeah. make a massive difference. Yeah. Wukar did a app. He's got that train heroic app that you download mm -hmm. and it's got a, a strength program. So super good. Yeah. I don't know if it's still going on this winter, but I did that last, um, yeah, last winter. Nice. Do you notice dude, a, somebody, somebody told good. me not to give away my secrets on my podcast. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, cupcakes, just cupcakes and brownies, right? That's what you did last week. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I did last winter. It was like a 12 week program through uh, art. It was good. Cool. It was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Right on. Um, I was talking, I was talking yesterday to my wife about this next one, part four training strengths, not weaknesses. That's cool. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Go yeah. So that's, that's huge. And again, like this kind of comes back to that athlete ego. Like we all fall victim to our egos and we tend to gravitate to what we're good yep. at. Like sprinters yep. sprint, climbers climb. And that's, I mean, it's a really simplified, you know, statement, but it's true. Like you, you tell someone who considers themselves a sprinter, like, Hey, let's go do guardsmen. They're going to be like, mm, hard pass. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Um, and the same trend is observed in training and those with a strong kick, you know, tend to train that. So like, if you're really good at 30 second punchy power, I can guarantee that if left to your own devices, your training is going to lead towards that end of the power spectrum. If you're really good at 20 minute power or you're a really good, you know, time trialist, then you're going to gravitate naturally towards longer yep. intervals, closer to yep. threshold. Um, so that's something we see a ton. And obviously like you should train and develop your strengths. Like by, by no means should you, completely disregard what you're good at you can always build your strengths to be greater than what they currently are um, but it's super important to look at the the bigger picture and address limiters um, and and look at what we can do to become stronger riders like overall and the analogy that i borrowed from climbing from when i was coaching climbing is that we have we're just tools in the toolboxes is what our skills and our abilities are um, imagine showing up to like a construction site with like a screwdriver and being like, let's do this. Let's build this house. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to look like an absolute fool. 
but you want to fill that toolbox with as many skills, with as many tools as possible. So when you show up to race day with a box full of skills, like it becomes significantly more likely that you can begin to like shape the outcome of the race based on your abilities rather than just responding to what's happening around you and hoping, hoping that your skill base is adequate to respond. If that Very makes cool. Sense. Oh yeah. That's a great, and, and maybe dive in. I I'm imagining what you're saying is um, like, let's take loaded jug. Great example mm -hmm. where I arrive with a awesome 10 minute power, but the group attacks at strawberry where you're going to need like a 40 minute power. Yep. And then, you're going to have to have repeatability. You're also going to have to sprint at the end. You're going to have to have long endured power for the last hundred. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Like having yeah. all of those different items. The, it's the quiver, the power quiver for sure. And I think, you know, I, I pick on triathletes a lot, um, but triathletes are, I think, really, really good examples of this. They are so, so talented at riding at, 85% of threshold for super long durations of time. But they're like their sprint power, their VO2 power, their three minute power, like none of these things typically get developed. And typically like when I bring on a triathlete and we look at a, a power, like, and I assess their power as, as a full spectrum, like they're like their high end power, their, their threshold power is amazing. But what they can do with that later on, like if they were to give, you know, be given a short hill climb in the middle of that race, they would, they would struggle. They wouldn't be able to like, or, or even just like simple passes, right? Like being able to pass someone on the course or throw them in a crit, like, and by addressing things that may not even have to do with your preferred discipline, like it only makes you a better athlete all around. Like you rarely see triathletes training VO2, but I guarantee if you improve their VO2, it's going to make them a better triathlete in the long run. Yeah. So very cool. What, um, well, let's say I'm just a dummy. How do I know what I'm not good at? Um, odds are you already know just by what you're choosing, <laughs> choosing to ride typically. Um, mm -hmm. But it could be something as simple as like, I, I have each of my athletes do like we've, we've all heard of the 20 minute FTP test or ramp test or whatever. So doing something like that. And that kind of gives you a really good idea of like your 20 minute plus power. But then I have athletes, um, basically do a, a full power profile test. So looking at like peak maximum production power, like your one second max power, your five second max power. Um, so five, 10, one minute, three minute, eight minute, something like that. And Smart. you can kind of look at those numbers and be like, okay, cool. Like my peak power or my FTP is 400, but I can't break 600 in a sprint. And that would tell us that that low end of that spectrum needs some, some love for sure. Okay, cool. Smart. And most of those trainer programs can, I mean, everybody's doing ramp tests right now and like, yeah, yeah. kind of get that, that idea for winter. Is that a, a yeah, it's a, it's a great place to do it. Um, I, I always struggle and hesitate to prescribe, um, sprint like high, high intensity sprint work on the trainer just mm. because it's really hard to generate that kind of power with like a fixed, you know, direct drive trainer. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think just going outside for a 40 minute spin and just like trying to, you know, hit these high end power numbers and see where you're at. Um, okay. Or honestly, like, I think a really great natural way to do this where you don't get the apprehension or the nervousness of testing is go out for a group ride that's significantly faster than you are and just hang on. You're going to hit mm. all those, like check all those boxes and find those weaknesses typically. Smart. 
I don't get invited to those. So yeah, me neither. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Um, I think we got time. Let's do, let's do five and six. Blast through um, it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear five. Cool. Um, five is, I think a really hard one for people psychologically to wrap their brains around. And that's to accept that progress isn't linear. Um, I think we always have this expectation that if I lay out four weeks, six weeks on the calendar, at the end of that six weeks, I'm going to be infinitely stronger in all the areas that I expect to be stronger. Um, And I think it's also important to realize that in strengthening some areas, we may cause a slight de-evolution in other areas. So by spending, let's say, six weeks focusing on, like I'm working on my VO2 power, there's a really good chance that other areas of my power curve are going to suffer because of what I'm doing. Got it. But I've prioritized, you know, that end of the spectrum and, and kind of plan for that. But, you know, beyond that also realizing that like family life comes first for hopefully most people. Um, So like family comes first, sickness, job, travel, like all these things are going to impact your training and impact that overall result. Um, and it's not the end of the world if, if because of that, you know, something tests a little bit lower or you don't hit the FTP goal that you had, you know, strived for, um, roll with it, just keep moving, keep training, you know, keep, keep driving the bus forward. Um, like we talked a little bit about, yeah. And I think like we talked a little bit about minimum effective dose and I think, um, like the number, the this number the volume intensity, everything's going to change throughout the season and most likely will vary between energy systems and the progress won't look the same between energy systems. So like if I'm working on, you know, like threshold versus VO2, like it may take a greater time, a greater amount of time to see those adaptations versus in one area than the other. Um, so I think it's just going into each block of training with an open mind and hoping and, and planning for progress, but knowing that it might not look the way you think it's going to look smart. Yeah. And I guess typically athletes in our position will just get so frustrated and they'll do sure. more and more and more until it's not helping at all. So yeah. very great advice. Very smart. And I think it's, uh, it's hard. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go. I just, I think it's really hard that we, we also tend to tie a lot of our, our performance worth and our self-worth to silly things like FTP and like Mm. power numbers. Mm. Um, You know, looking at like a case study example, like I had an athlete in early spring who was hitting highest power numbers like ever in, in that person's cycling career and was doing, you know, pretty well in terms of performances. And then over the course of the season, lost like 20, 30 pounds and Based on that, there was a slight decrease in FTP, a slight decrease in the performance, the power output you would see. But in terms of actual on the road performance was PRing everything and was racing super strong. So if you look at like, if you attach yourself to these numbers and these FTPs that everyone is just striving for, like even though this athlete, you know, got significantly stronger from a watt per kilo perspective was weaker in terms of numbers. And so I think it's really, really important to not only like to not just attach yourself to these, these numbers that ultimately don't mean much, right? Like what we want is performance on the road. So smart. I, uh, I read a running, a running book one time that had that exact, the advice was kind of pick a thing that you love to do. Um, 
like for me, it would be like Mill Creek. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it, and it, the book suggested as a runner though, um, you know, maybe three or four times a year, go to that place and just do like a baseline test, just do the test, see how you feel, see how it goes, see how fast you, and then kind of record like my weight and how I felt and, and just kind of take a minute to, um, think about has, have I progressed in a way that I, that I want to be moving based on all the things like, am I heavier? Well, if I'm not, then is my power increasing or has my power gone down and I'm, and I'm lighter. I mean, it, it is a smart thing to kind of take stock of. Um, For sure. And I yeah. think without even really noticing it, you kind of hit the nail on the head with doing this thing a few times throughout the season, throughout the year. And yeah. this is where, endurance athletes being very type one athletes like we want day-to-day data like data like you're wearing a whoop i'm wearing a whoop we all have power meters we all have training peaks we all have strava so we're getting day-to-day snapshots of of like performance output and on every given day we uh, assign a level of self-worth to those numbers (laughs) but that number can change from day to day based on simple variables like how much sleep did you get how was your nutrition like all these little things affect those day-to-day things. So by looking at larger snapshots, like you mentioned, like three times per year, that I think gives us a better, like holistic overall look at us as athletes. And I think we get so caught in the day-to-day that we don't, we don't see the bigger picture. Nice. Okay. This last, this last point, it's going to, I love it, but it's tough. tough And it is, it, it is. So basically don't diet on the bike fuel, like fuel your work. And I think this is something that, um, every single person knows. And if you were to ask somebody, they would say the, you know, they would agree with you. Like, no, fuel your work. Don't like, why would you skimp on calories in the off season? Why would you skimp if you're, if you're training? And it's easy to fall into this like trap of like fasted riding or, um, like winter weight loss. Um, or honestly, like this is a big one for me. Like I just forget to eat. Like, mm. I know you, like you're a business owner. I don't know if you fall into the same, like I'll wake up and I'll start working and then like, oh, it's three o'clock and I haven't had breakfast. Um, <laughs> and I know how unhealthy and stupid that is. And it's such an easy fix. Right. And it has such right. a huge, like huge compounding effect on performance. And it, it would be such like, honestly, like when you're training and, and you're racing in a fe- like a properly fueled state, it feels like cheating. So why would you not want to do that all the time? Like, why would you not nice. want to fuel the work? Um, and then I think this is, it's super important to remember that training inside differs from training and racing outside, like from a thermogenic mm-hmm. perspective. So from a calorie burn perspective, um, like cooling and thermoregulation inside is harder because we have a typically a decrease in airflow. Like even if you have yeah. a thousand fans in your, in your kicker room, it's, it's probably still a little bit stuffier than riding outside. Yeah. Um, so like electrolyte intake may be a little bit more necessary inside on the trainer in the off season. Um, obviously like this needs to take into consideration, like your sweat rate, whether or not you're like a salty sweater to begin with. Um, and then training inside, like you're typically pedaling more like consistently than you would outside. You're not stopping, you're not coasting. You're, you're just, you're doing 90 minutes or two hours or whatever of, of pure work output. So from a caloric standpoint, standpoint from like a kilojoules, like calorie perspective, like you may just need more. Um, 
and it's worth it. Like, you know, whether or not that's gels, whether or not it's like, this is super unhealthy, but like little Debbie oatmeal cream pies, they're like my training jam right now. So Gosh. <laughs> a buddy of mine is a, a pro mountain bike rider from uh, Reno. Um, this like little Brazilian guy and he's awesome, but he and I were chatting and he's like, try to find, go to the grocery store and find a more calorically dense food per dollar than mm-hmm. oatmeal cream pies. And like, you can't like, that's can't do it. horrible <laughs> for you, but from a caloric to dollar perspective, like it's fantastic, but it, your body's not going to on the bike. It's not going to differentiate between sugar and, and, you know, a more refined gel based sugar. So, you know, eat something, get on the bike, fuel it. I think little Debbie's probably they're like one step above uh, like a pop tart. Well, I mean, they sponsor the Chattanooga Ironman. So it's oh, there be you healthy, go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is the oatmeal cream pies. So it's got to be nice. kind of healthy. <laughs> That's fun. All right. You got um, some bonus tips. These are cool. Yeah, you got, I you like... got time for the bonus tips? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I know that Miduele has a huge age range from like young guns to like the seasoned veterans. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of you guys already have this. Um, but invest in a set of rollers. Hmm. Um, just like the, you know, the old school, you know, like drums that you're, that you're rolling on. So direct drive trainers, be it like the kicker or like a tax Neo, they're really convenient. They're awesome for producing power and consistent power. Um, but for some of these longer rides, like rollers are a great way to either like a distract yourself because you can't really zone out on rollers. Like you have to, you have to kind of be focusing and be aware um, and it's also a great skill-based winter like drill. So like if I have a three hour, if it's not snowing and I have like a three hour, four hour ride, I'm not going to do that on my, on my taps. I'll do it on the rollers. And that way I'm hmm. come springtime. Like I'm, I'm ready for group ride mode and Dang. you know, I'm not just like zoned out staring at a wall for three hours. I'm like having to focus and pay attention. So I, I mean, I've never, I've never been on them, dude. They're so much, they're fun. And you can literally get them on, like, I think I've seen pairs on KSL for like 50 bucks. So it's like, oh, wow. Why not? Right. If it makes you a better rider, cool. Mm. Um, and then this one, I think uh, not a lot of people think about it, but if you're riding direct drive, like a kicker or a tax and you're in Zwift and you're doing intervals, pop it out of erg mode every once in a while. Um, I think it's really easy for us to get complacent with the bike just giving us feedback on what we're supposed to be doing. Um, mm. You know, if we're pedaling 20 minutes at 85 cadence or whatever, 200 Watts, we don't have to think about that. It's just making us do it. But if you can pop it out of earth mode and just go into free mode and have to remember like how to shift to create power, how to like manipulate your cadence to create and hold, maintain power on different terrains. Like it's only going to make you a better, a better rider. And especially if you're racing, it's going to make you a significantly better racer like going into the, the early season from a pacing perspective. Yeah. I hate erg mode. I'm never in erg mode. You know, and I, I do it for certain Ugh. intervals, hmm. but like, and, and I fall into that really, really often of knowing that like this would probably have been a more productive training session if I had just gone out of erg mode and shifted and played with my cadence and, you know, but, I think it's something that every athlete can learn from for sure. No matter how nice. fast, how skilled you are, it's, it'll only make you better. Nice. Um, as we kind of wrap up, uh, anything you want to say to those wanting to connect with you for coaching? 
Yeah. Um, so I always, my, my pitch here is uh, if you want to follow, you know, white pine athletics and see the coaching content and see what our athletes are up to, we're on Instagram at white pine athletics. If you want to see a series of poor decision-making, typically you can follow me on Instagram personally. <laughs> <laughs> so, like going out doing rides that I probably shouldn't be doing. Um, that, that's always an option. But other than that, um, our website is just whitepineathletics.com and uh, um, everything, kind of everything about us is on there. We have a lot of, you know, training content on our blogs and uh, fun stuff like that. Cool. I'll put the link uh, in the notes of this episode so you can click on it. But thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Kyle asked for a long ride Saturday. I don't know. uh, I'm trying. I've got a lot of soccer Saturday, so we'll we'll see. I actually just found out I have a ballet um, that I'm going to on on Saturday. Okay. Okay. That I thought was evening. But Sunday, we're talking about getting a group together and going down towards Goshen. Um, oh, and nice. doing like Goshen Canyon and around West Mountain of Utah Lake. So cool. the more the merrier. Man, we'll keep posting them out there. Grateful that uh, you contribute so much to the team. So appreciate it, dude. No, I love what you guys are doing and uh, keep inviting me to things. All yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep keeping the, uh, the, mel- the Miduele trap. I'm not going to name Perfect. the podcast that, but that was really funny. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks so much. much. Appreciate it.